This is the day that the Lord has made. We shall rejoice and be glad in it. Hi, my name is Dr. Lou Diaz, pastor of Butte Bible Fellowship located at 2255 Pillsbury Road in Chico. And I'm providing inspirational teaching for you from God's Word each week. Listen to my weekly radio program, Encouraging Words with Dr. Lou Diaz, at 10 a.m. on Saturday or 10 a.m. on Sunday. If you would like to hear my current message series, you may call Butte Bible Fellowship at 530-892-0521. God had worked 10 plagues to loosen the hands of Pharaoh so that finally he let his God's people go. And they were on their way escaping from Egypt when God told them to go back and camp by the Red Sea. God knew that he was going to harden Pharaoh's heart and that Pharaoh was going to go back after them. And here would be the Israelites trapped by the Red Sea on one side, by mountains on the other side, and by a military outpost on the other side. They were in a box canyon situation. And Pharaoh and the Egyptian soldiers would be coming after them. They were between a rock and a hard place. They were between the devil, Pharaoh, and the deep blue sea, the Red Sea. So we see from this... Three lessons so far. Three lessons if you want to have hope when you've come into a difficult situation. You're in a conundrum. You are in a sticky wicket. You are in a dilemma. You're facing something that is overwhelming in your life. And you say, how can I find hope in this? Lesson number one is hope is here. Wherever you are, know that God understands exactly what your position is. He knows where you are, and he'll meet you right where you are to give you hope, no matter what you're facing. Second, not only is hope here, but hope honors God. Whatever your situation is, your motive, your desire should be, God, glorify yourself no matter what I'm going through. When you have that attitude that you want God to receive the glory, you can't go wrong. Because when God receives the glory, it's also for your good. The third thing we've learned so far is that hope sees clearly. Instead of focusing in on our enemy, we focus in on our great God. We had a seeing test, an eye exam last week. Do you remember that? If your hand stretched out like this represents God and your finger represents your problem, How should they be positioned? Like this or like this? That's right. You should be focusing on God so that your problem is a peripheral vision sight, not a dominating sight that all you can see is your problem and you really are not focusing in on God. So hope sees clearly. In three sentences, what we've learned so far is that you have been led by God, that you are to glorify God, and that you're to focus on God. If you realize you're being led by God, you want God to be glorified, and you focus on God, you will have hope no matter what 
your situation. So today, we come to the fourth of the ten hope in action steps. And this one is hope cries out. Hope cries out. And it's based on Exodus 14, verses 10 and 12. Let me read these verses for you. Again, remember the Israelites are camped by the Red Sea. They're trapped. And read this passage. As Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up, and there were the Egyptians marching after them. They were terrified and cried out to the Lord. Then they said to Moses, Because there were no graves in Egypt, have you taken us away to die in the wilderness? Why have you so dealt with us to bring us up out of Egypt? Is this not the word that we told you in Egypt, saying, Let us alone, that we may serve the Egyptians? For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than that we should die in the wilderness. Boy, this is a juicy passage. I can't wait to get into it. And to make it very practical, I have universalized the principles here. So here it is. The problem, I see danger. They looked up and they saw Pharaoh and the Egyptian army coming with 600 chariots. They saw danger. Second, the panic, I feel fear. Third, the prayer, I tell God. But then, instead of really giving it to God in prayer, they turned on their leader and protested and said, I want peace. Now, can anybody be thankful to the Lord that the Bible is unvarnished in presenting humanity. We're so thankful that the Israelites were real people and they struggled with real issues, just like we do. No one's perfect. We all struggle with feelings of fear and panic and, and complaining. We all struggle. But what can we learn from them? How can we learn to have hope? Well, let's look through this. First of all, the problem. I see danger. And when Pharaoh drew near, the children of Israel lifted their eyes and behold, the Egyptians marched after them. I see danger. They lifted their eyes. Behold, they saw Pharaoh approaching. The arch enemy himself is coming closer and closer because of his special chariot and his ornate kingly robe kingly robe they they saw him standing out from the rest and he was the immediate focal point of the israelites attention the arch enemy himself is coming after us oh no the israelites looked up they were tending to their camp and their other task of daily living they were engrossed in conversation with one another they were taking care of their young children and their elderly parents and grandparents they were looking anywhere but up until that time when they heard the rumbling wheels and the thunderous sound of the chariots of Egypt. They looked up. Then they saw. They gasped in shock. Then they perceived how vulnerable they were. Then they assumed their time had come and they were finished, kaput, to be no more alive on this earth. This was it. They thought they were going to be slaughtered no time left. They saw besides Pharaoh the rest of the Egyptians who were marching after them. They saw the 600 of the best military chariots of Israel. They saw the officers and the ranks upon ranks of soldiers. 
and they saw every able-bodied Egyptian male coming after them. They were fugitives to be rounded up. They were escapees to be recaptured. They were traitors to be punished. They were runaway slaves to be dealt with severely. They felt like they were bugs about to be squashed. All they could think about was how these people hated them with a passion. They had enslaved them, and now they were marching with strategic precision and determination, with advanced levels of weaponry, to end their short-lived freedom and perhaps to end their very lives. I see danger. Do you ever see danger? Danger is when you see something that's a threat to your life. It's a threat to your comfort. It's a threat to normal living. It could be a health issue. It could be a financial issue. It could be a relational issue. It's threatening your peace. And you see it as danger. Now there's two kinds of danger. There's real danger and perceived danger. Real danger is when there's an actual threat. You're driving on the freeway and suddenly you see a whole bunch of red lights in front of you and all you can do is react to that real danger by slamming on the brakes. That's real danger. But then there's perceived danger where you think somebody's looking at you the wrong way and giving you the evil eye. There's perceived danger when, when you think somebody's you know, trying to come after you in some way. And what that is, is worry. Let's be honest. We all struggle with worry and fear because we're constantly seeing danger around us. Worry is an emotional spasm which occurs when the mind catches hold of something and won't let it go. Worry is a small trickle of fear that meanders through the mind until it cuts a channel into which all other thoughts are drained. Worry is the dark room where negatives are developed. We all struggle with worry and fear. Now here's the point for you. Perhaps you need to stop interpreting everything as dangerous. Can we be honest? Some of us catastrophize everything. We make a molehill into a mountain and everything's going to ruin our lives. Everything's going to go against us. And we're constantly pumping out adrenaline to try to deal with all the dangers in life. What if you trusted God more? What if you rested in God's love? What if you said, I'll worry about that when it actually becomes a worry? The warning is don't pay the toll twice. Is there going to be a toll at the bridge I'm going to have to pay? Is there going to be a toll I'm going to have to pay at the bridge? And you're so worried and so worried, and you get there, and there is a toll, and you have to pay it, but you paid it twice. You paid it once, emotionally worrying about it, and then you paid it when you got there. What if there wasn't any toll at the bridge? You already paid it in worry. Why pay the toll twice? Wait for it. If it's really dangerous, and if God wants you to go through it, He'll bring you through it. But don't be consumed with fear and worry because it's eating your lunch. It's ruining the joy of living. 
Someone gave me this note before the sermon began. She had no idea that I'd be talking about this. Here's the quote. Anxiety is contemplating your future without putting God in it. That's when you're really anxious. You're really anxious when you're focused in on the problem and not on God. Focus in on God, not the problem. And the problem is small fries kind of stuff compared to everything else. Second, the panic. I feel fear. It says, so they were very afraid. They were terrified. The modern term would be they freaked out or that they had panic attacks. A panic attack is when your heart is beating and racing and you're breathing heavily and you think you're about to die. The Israelites were terrified by those who had previously terrorized them and who were capable of exceptional acts of cruelty. The anticipation of being wiped out by this vicious army caused them to experience abject fear and white-knuckled fright. This was a surprise, an utterly shocking surprise to the Israelites. And in light of this season, it was not a trick. It was a trick, not a treat. As the monstrous enemy and his minions were closing in on them and trapping them so that they had no way of escape. What would you do? Maybe you have something that's going on in your life, and you're thinking, this is the worst thing that has ever happened to me. This will destroy my life. What would be your emotion? Now, right here, after years of being in the ministry, I'm going to say something that's quite bold. Fear is a normal part of being a human being. I'm not going to put down the Israelites because they panicked. I'm not going to say they were sinful, weak people because they had fear. I'm going to say they're human. Fear is part of the factory equipment of being a human being. But what do you do with the fear? That's the question. I heard an acronym for fear that changed my life. Fear, F-E-A-R. False education appearing real. False education appearing real. When we believe something is going to kill us or destroy us, and we take it to heart, it does restrict us. Did you know that elephants, when they're baby elephants, they are chained to a stake, and they can't move away from that area. But when they grow up, they just use a regular wooden peg and a piece of rope, and the elephants still don't move because they're thinking it's still a stake with a chain. False education appearing real is trapping the elephant from moving around. Fleas jump, and for them to train them for a flea circus, they put a surface above their heads so the fleas hit their flea brains against the surface and they don't jump any higher than that level. False education appearing real. Let's not be like elephants or fleas, restricted by our fears letting our fears control us fear is a feeling we should feel but fear is not a state that we should remain in god has not given you a spirit of timidity but he's given you a spirit of power and love and he's given you a sound mind so you see danger you feel fear what would you do the Israelites prayed, they called out to God, they cried out, and they screamed for divine help. And that brings us to the prayer. The problem, 
I see danger. The panic, I feel fear. The prayer, I tell God. What should you do with your fears? You should give them to God. Any emotion that you have, whether it's fear or anger or guilt, you should give your feelings to God. Give Him the full weight of those feelings and ask Him for wisdom as to how to process them, how to deal with them, how to work them out. That's what God has for you. So the Israelites cried out. It says, the children of Israel cried out to the Lord. They were screaming out in fear and worry with dread and a strong sense of doom. They may have said things like, OMG, which stands for, oh my God, God help us. They could have yelled out, why this? Why me? Why now? Or, God, do you see what's going on here? When you are about to feel like you're going to be crushed. I was riding in a car in Connecticut where I was growing up, and it hit a patch of ice coming down a hill. And I was heading right for a big, thick tree trunk. And I yelled. Now, some people in that situation would yell with a high-pitched baby voice. But I yelled out, Jesus! And in that moment, I kid you not, somehow the car caught traction and it turned at the last minute away from the tree trunk. Wow! Have you ever prayed like that? Where you are so fearful, you cry out from the depth of your soul. And it's not how loud you yell in crying out, it's how desperate your heart is. It's how desperate your heart is. That you cry out, and the Israelites cried out in unity. They cried out together, saying, Lord, we plead with you, help us. Now, this is what the message should be about. That if you want faith, if you want hope in your desperate situation, whatever your desperate situation is, call out to God. The Bible says, cast your cares upon the Lord, for He cares for you. The Bible says, do not be anxious about anything, but pray about everything with prayers and supplication, with thanksgiving. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, shall guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. You see, your heart and your mind in a time of worry and fear want to go in two directions. Your mind says, I should be doing this, and your heart's saying, freak out! But when you pray, God holds you together. God guards your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. So instead of you being filled with and living in a state of anxiety, you do feel worry initially, but here's the point. Had the Israelites really cried out to God in prayer, they would have worked from fear to faith. That's what would have happened if they really cried out to God in prayer. Not just a quick, help! In case of emergency, break glass and pray. A quick, help! But then continue to complain. No. Sometimes we pray and we're so focused on the problem, it actually does more harm than good. God, this person is really bugging me and all I can see is this person and I... Please help me deliver, deliver me from this person. I hate this person. This person, what are you doing? You're just focusing in on your problem. 
God, you're in control. You can work in that person's heart. You can give me more love for that person. You see the difference? Work from fear to faith through prayer. If your knees are shaking in fear, try kneeling on them. Let fear and worry be an alarm that says it's time to pray. That's what we should be doing if we want the hope that is from God. We should be seeking God in prayer. However, the Israelites are very, very human. What did they do? The protest. The protest is, I want peace at any price. Get me out of this terrible situation. I want my old normal, not my new normal. I want to go back to the good old days. And you know what the problem was with the good old days? You can remember how cheap gas was, how cheap bread was, how you could buy a house or a car for so little money compared to today. But you forget, those were the times of the Depression. Those were the times of, of all sorts of shortages. How selective is our memory? We want to remember all the good old days with all the positives, and we forget all the bad things. So here's the protest. It starts with them saying to Moses, why, uh, they said to Moses, because there are no graves in Egypt, have you taken us away to die in the wilderness? In other words, and this is very important, to criticize a God-appointed leader is to criticize God himself. Now listen carefully. This doesn't mean that the leader is equal to God. It doesn't mean that the leader always does the right thing. It doesn't mean the leader always makes perfect choices. Neither does it mean that the leader should not ever be questioned or be held accountable. However, there's an attitude of blame and an attitude of despising a human leader that is really being directed to God rather than to that human leader. So here's an example. If you say in anger to a family member, close that stupid door, are you really calling the door stupid? Or are you implying that the family member is stupid for leaving the door open? In reality, you're saying, close the door, stupid, aren't you? So in the same way, if you say, my stupid leader that God called to lead us is at fault that things have gone wrong, then you are saying in reality, my stupid God is at fault for calling this leader, and that's why things have gone wrong. Are you hearing what I'm saying? The protest of the people against Moses, the man of God who was following God's will and leading them as they were following the cloud by day and the fire by night, is a representation, a, rep a representative of God himself, and criticizing him like this was showing their despising of God. And so the first one here is sarcasm. What? You set us up to be killed in the wilderness by the Egyptians because you thought Egypt's cemeteries were full and that the wilderness had more room where all of us can now be buried? You hear the sarcasm there? I want the peace of Egypt that had plenty of everything, including burial plots. I want the peace of Egypt that you took away from me. I want the peace of Egypt rather than to die in the wilderness. And you know, we can be so weak and vulnerable that we believe the devil's lies. We could start questioning God and criticizing God and judging God as doing dumb things and bad things. And we can say, God doesn't have good plans for me. Wrong. God takes me out of the frying pan only to throw me into the fire. 
Wrong. God tears me away from things I love because He wants me to be unhappy and bored. Wrong. That's the devil. What's wrong with these protests? They had forgotten they were in bondage and slavery in Egypt. They were beaten, abused, berated, mistreated, insulted in Egypt. They were forced to work hard and fast to keep up, a, keep up producing the required daily quota of bricks, even without the essential elements of straw. Their baby boys were to be drowned at birth by the midwives, and they want the good old days? What are they thinking? They thought that was peace. Go back the way it used to be. Well, it doesn't stop there. After sarcasm, they use demonization. Demonization is to call a person, basically the devil. And so they say, why have you so dealt with us to bring us up out of Egypt? I mean, they are now saying to Moses that he dealt with them, that he was the tyrant. He was the slave driver who wanted to crush them, who was unfair, unwise, uncaring, cruel, who forced them, twisted their arm behind their back and forced them out of their homes to freedom in Egypt. You brought us against our will. We didn't want to leave. We preferred to stay. We were perfectly content where we were. You dis disrupted our peace. You changed things so that they will never be the same. We don't like where we are, and we want to go back home where we belong. That's what they were saying. We want peace. And you are the problem. Now, I'm not going to get into politics here, but how many of you have heard someone in authority blamed for everything? Okay? So we're not too far away from the Israelites. We demonize our leaders for everything that goes wrong. Oh, climate control, that's his fault. Uh, I think that's something beyond his control. But anyway, I'm not going to go there. I'm not going to go there. Next they said, is this not the word that we told you in Egypt? Oh, I've got to read this better because you're going to relate. Is this not the word that we told you in Egypt? Saying, let us alone that we may serve the Egyptians. And one phrase that you've heard a million times. Didn't I tell you so? Didn't I tell you so? I told you it was going to be like this. So what happens is they go from sarcasm to demonization to self-righteousness. We were right all along. We told you to leave us alone. If you do that, then things will get worse. If you do that, then you'll be sorry. I told you so. We were right all along. We were better off and had peace when we served the Egyptians. Why didn't you listen to us? Why didn't you leave us alone? Why didn't you let us live in peace? We're the right ones. And because we're in this mess, it's your fault. Self-righteousness. And the last part of the protest is this. For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than we should die in the wilderness. Judgmentalism. Not only does a person who's protesting get sarcastic and demonize the person in charge, but they also get self-righteous and they think they could have judged it better. They could have made a far better decision. Boy, what was that knucklehead thinking about? We know best. Living in bondage is better than dying in freedom. We know what is better. We want to choose that which is most convenient. We don't want freedom if it costs us anything. We just want to live in peace at any price, even if it costs us our freedom. Do you see what's going on here? The people of Israel think that they know better and can judge better than God. Yet, they sarcastically demean 
their leader as being stupid, even though he was obeying God. They demonize their leader so that he is the enemy, not the other leaders who used to tyrannize and terrorize them. They self-righteously put themselves above their leader and God by claiming that they knew the outcome and warned it would turn out badly. And they judgmentally determine that their leader and God don't know what is truly best for them and that they would rather that that their leader and God would put them in a worse situation than if they weren't following their leader and God at all. So what we're to do here is to take the good things we should be learning from the Israelites and do the opposite of the bad thing that they did. The good thing is they cried out to God. The bad thing is they really didn't mean it. They didn't really pray through from fear to faith. They cried out to God and then they complained against their leader looking for someone to blame for their problems. And a leader is often the lightning rod. The leader is the lightning rod that gets all the blame because you're looking for someone to blame and you don't want to blame yourself. You don't want to take any personal responsibility. So it's all his fault or her fault who's in charge. And I think what we should learn from this is that when we have a problem where we feel threatened and we see fear, we see danger, and when we feel fear, we're panicking, we should really tell God. We should give our burdens to the Lord. We should lean on the everlasting arms. Are you really trusting God in your difficulty? Or are you blaming the world for your problems? Are you living like a victim? Why is everybody always picking on me? Or are you living like a victor? I may be going through hard times, but God is my strength. God is my refuge. God is my deliverer. God will come through for me. He didn't bring me this far to let me down. He didn't teach me how to swim to let me drown. God will bring me to the promised land. God is faithful and I will trust Him. My focus will be on God, not on my problem. I'll deal with that problem, but in perspective of God. Do you need encouragement? I want to share my spiritual gift of encouragement with you. If you would like to hear my current message series, you may call Butte Bible Fellowship at 530-892-0521. Call Butte Bible Fellowship at 530-892-0521 to find out how you can connect with our weekly worship services and faith-building messages from God's Word.